Welcome to Life on Pause, a podcast defining the experience of being a young adult with cancer. Each episode, we explore issues impacting young adults in and after treatment. Like what you hear? Have something to add? Come join us for next month's recording, the third Tuesday at 6 p.m. Welcome to tonight's episode of Life on Pause. Tonight's topic is on the experience of being both a cancer survivor and, as some people might say, a so-called healthcare hero, or like otherwise, a healthcare worker. So um, just to start off, I think we can all introduce ourselves, maybe give a little bit of what your cancer diagnosis was and also what your current position in the healthcare field is. So my name is Abby. I am leukemia survivor. I had ALL and I'm currently a second year medical student. I'm Allie. I am a Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor and I will be a new grad nurse in nine days. (laughs) Hi, my name is Corrine. I am also a Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor and I am um, 13 years in remission and I have been a pediatric nurse for the last seven years now. My name is Kasara. I am a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor. I've been in remission about a year and a half, and I am a scheduler or a physician's office assistant in a busy cardiology office. Okay, so to start off, I think we could just talk about whether or not your cancer diagnosis influenced you to go into healthcare, or maybe you're already in healthcare, and if so, kind of like what led you to choose a career in healthcare? So for me, I was 16 when I got diagnosed and it was the, my junior year. And I had this dilemma where I was like, do I feel like I want to go into healthcare or do I feel like I have to? So I actually, my first degree was in cellular and molecular bio because I thought that I wanted to do cancer research. And then I realized just going especially that first five years going to appointments, I was like, no, like my heart is in pediatric oncology and pediatrics. And this is what I want to do. Um, So I then did an accelerated nursing program and got my bachelor's in nursing and started out um, working at CHOP. And I worked on their bone marrow transplant oncology floor for six years. And I currently work at um, Penn State Hershey in the maternal child flow pool. And I get to go all over. But if I always say that, if I don't know who I would be without being a cancer survivor, but I also don't know what kind of nurse I would be without being a cancer survivor as well. So I was in, I just was starting my second year of my bachelor's for nursing. So I was already gone. I already knew that I wanted to be a nurse, but um, it was kind of like, well, I know I want to be in healthcare. Like, yeah, like I can be a nurse. And then once I got cancer, I was like, okay, like it kind of like, fueled my passion more like just being around my nurses and stuff like that and like seeing the way my nurses were and like my my grandma would take me to my and stuff and she'd be like oh like that doctor was so knowledgeable I'm like that's not the doctor like that's the nurse like the nurse is the one taking care of me and giving my chemo and everything I love my doctor and everything but it's just funny how like my grandma who you know she didn't know who was who or what the title of people she just assumed that this really knowledgeable person who was with me my whole chemo treatment and checking on me and making sure everything was fine. She thought that was the doctor when really it was the nurse. And I was just like, you know, I want to be that person for somebody one day who's knowledgeable and sitting with them and able to 
make them feel better? Yeah. So for me, I was diagnosed when I was 22. I had just graduated from college like a few months ago. And I had always thought I wanted to do something vaguely healthcare related, but I really like just could not make up my mind. I was like looking into like genetic counseling or like PA school or medical school or like all the different options you can kind of do with just like a biology chemistry degree. But then once I was diagnosed and I was like spending time just like with my doctors and the nurses and um like the whole treatment team, then I was like, okay, I've been shying away from this because I think I was like afraid to make the commitment to medical school. But I'm like, this is definitely what I should be doing. And I working towards that. And now I'm a second year student. I've always wanted to be in the medical field ever since I was little. I used to tell my parents all the time or anybody who asked, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I always said I wanted to be a doctor. I did go to school for a while for nursing and I do want to go back. But before I started my position I'm in now, I was a CNA for eight years. So I'm used to like taking care of people and being there for them. So it was just It's definitely different when you're in that position and you have to rely on the people. But at the same time, like the relationships that I've had with some of the nurses that I've met and my doctors, like it's just a nice feeling to like know that you have people that are there and like they understand and they get it. But at the same time, like I like being on the other side and being able to be that person for people to lean on and it kind of just makes me appreciate my job a little bit more now being in like scheduling because like your heart, I mean, it is one of your major organs. So people do get pretty worked up and scared. So it's nice to be there to kind of reassure them and help them when they need it. Yeah, definitely. Like going off of what you said, I would say being in the hospital now, I see some healthcare providers or nurses or assistant personnel, they're like, oh, they're just being so dramatic in there or like, oh, they're in so much pain and this and that. And like, maybe I would have had a different outlook if I have, hadn't been a patient and been told like, well, I was told when I went into the ER telling them I am in pain, they're like, well, why didn't you wait till the morning to go to your primary doctor? Or are you looking for pain medication? Like, no, I'm sick and I don't know why I'm sick. Well, it turns out I have a huge tumor in my chest like so that's just bothers me when nurses or or doctors or whatever assistant personnel are like oh like well they're just being dramatic or oh they're in this pain like you're not living in their body and you don't know how they're feeling and it's not your job to figure out if they're lying or not it's your job to treat them and it's your job to comfort them patients respond better if you're like oh like if you're more understanding instead of being like well i just gave you your pain medication like 10 minutes ago instead trying to be like, okay, like, well, I did do this. So we could try something else. Or we could maybe do this or like, well, I know one time I had back pain and this helped me like, you know, would you like to try a heating pad or ice or just like offering alternative therapies instead of being like annoyed. So I definitely noticed that I see things differently than other people. Yeah, like you said, I think for me, I feel like if I've learned one thing, it's just the basic concept of being understanding. And I think through my experience, what I appreciated so much, and it was really cool because last week I actually got to be down in clinic with the same nurses that gave me my chemo. And I remember the one nurse, Moy, just her talking to me and asking me about my normal life. Like, 
oh, like, did you do you play sports? Or like, do you have a dog? Like actually getting to know me as a human, like she didn't make me feel like I was the cancer girl. She made me feel like I was a normal 16 year old. And I think for me, you know, especially it's with healthcare and, you know, nursing shortages and just life post COVID, it is an insane, you know, different facet that we're dealing with, but it's like, you can still take the five minutes of time to like establish a relationship with a person. And for me, especially in pediatrics, like patient in any specialty, like patient family centered care is so important. Like this person's trusting you with their life. Like they are trusting you to take care of them. And like, just letting someone know that you're there for them and you're not just there to do a task makes all the difference. Yeah. I think you guys like pretty much read my mind. The next question I had was, um, did your cancer experience like make you a better healthcare professional? And I think like probably everyone would say it does, at least for me, like, um, especially if I'm still in preclinical years and it's just like memorizing all these syndromes. And when you are like, removed from it and you haven't like ever talked to a patient with them or like especially haven't been a patient with them I think it's like easy to lose sight of like how much that impacts someone's life and then when you've actually lived like a certain thing even just like pneumonia and you can think of like how horrible was it to have pneumonia I think it's like so important to be able to like provide the like compassionate care that people like really deserve and not just like Ali you were mentioning like just kind of discounting like why they're there like their pain and suffering which I think is like really sad when stuff like that happens it took me almost six months to get diagnosed like with cancer because I was in a different state so I wasn't with my primary care provider because I was going to college and living with my grandparents and I was like dismissing my own symptoms because I just was like well I'm really stressed right now. Like I'm really, I'm working like 70 hours a week and I just finished my first year of college. Like I'm stressed. I'm long distance with my boyfriend, like blah, blah, blah. I was giving excuses for myself. When I finally took myself to the ER because I passed out, pretty much passed out at work, like fell onto a table. I was like, Ooh, like this is weird. What's going on? Why am I so lightheaded? I'm not this like, like, geez, one year out of high school, girl, come on, get yourself to the gym. I was like, what's going on here? And I go, and the first thing the nurse says to me is, it's literally one in the morning. Like, why don't, why wouldn't you wait to go to your primary care doctor? I know you don't know me, but I'm not like an emergency room type of girl. Like I would not take myself here if I was not afraid. And I just got off work and this, this, and this. And she was just so, just no, like, I don't even want to, I don't know. She was just rude. And then the first thing the doctor comes in and says to me, he's like, well, could you be pregnant? Like, well, I do. You did say you have anxiety. Maybe you just have too much anxiety for a 19, 18, 19 year old girl. When I went through a divorce, I had a lot of anxiety. I'm like, I'm literally not going through a divorce, but okay. And just being treated like that, I was like, I would never treat somebody like I'm living in their body. So I would treat every person as an individual and not like, well, you're 19. So there's no way you can have cancer. There's no way you have to be pregnant or anxious. Like that was just crazy to me. And I'll never treat somebody like that. I think too, I understand more why healthcare providers like ask the questions they do or like do what they do. Like when I was 16, you know, like I was, I had played volleyball. I was super in shape and I thought that I pulled a muscle weightlifting. 
And then all of a sudden, you know, that was on a Thursday. And on Saturday, I was at Penn State and we're throwing out all these, you know, like cancer, lupus, all these things. And I'm not kidding you. Every 15 minutes from for that first 12 hours, like everyone was asking me, like, can you breathe? Like, does it hurt to breathe? Like, let me know if it hurts to breathe. And like, I remember my 16 year old self being like, I'm going to put a post-it note on my forehead that says I can breathe. And what I didn't know was the reason why everyone kept asking me is because like my tumor was so big in my chest that it was like starting to compress my windpipe and, you know, like my superior vena cava. And I was like, like at high risk for like that becoming a major issue. And now as a nurse, like I can sometimes see like, you know, when people get annoyed, like if you're doing a neuro check and you ask them questions and they're like, oh, fine. And it's like, I think I have a better, I guess you can say sense of patience for like, this is my job and I'm doing my job to the best of my ability for your safety and for you. And I know that this is not convenient. And I know that this is not home and not a place that you want to be, but like, we're going to try and make this like as comfortable as possible for you. And we're going to get through this one day at a time. I really relate to what you said about just making it as comfortable as possible because I think one thing that is sometimes missed is that like especially if you're in the hospital for like more than like a day or something is like you're a whole person and like everything's uprooted and like I remember a nurse once brought me like a deodorant and I was like so thankful because like I was just like no one had thought about anything like that and it just made me feel like okay this person is taking care of me like very holistically it just made me feel so good to have someone on my side like that. So the next question was actually submitted by someone who unfortunately can't be here tonight, but he was wondering if being a healthcare provider and having the history of cancer we do helps you feel like maybe you're making a difference or like it's personally fulfilling or empowering or like how doing your job makes you feel like given your diagnosis. I always say that I have sometimes the best job in the world and sometimes the worst job in the world, you know, depending on the shift in the day and what happens. And a lot of times I feel like people are like, how can you work with pediatric oncology or with kids? Like, how can you do kids being sick or kids dying? And for me, it's like, there's these sad moments and these bad moments, but there's also these moments that like, I can't even properly articulate into words because they're just so like heartfelt and meaningful. And like a big thing in the healthcare world is like a Daisy award. That's something that like, you don't, you know, you don't, you're not promoting that. You're not going to your patient saying, Hey, do you want to give me a Daisy? But like when you get one and depending on what a person says and that just like utter appreciation that they have for you because you were you, like that makes all the difference in the world. I mean, I haven't started yet, but with clinical, like it definitely does feel good to like do the little things like Abby said, like bring, so like on the floor, the heme on floor that I was working on for my clinical hours, <clears throat> they have these little like shampoo caps that you like warm them up and like microwave for a little bit. And then you put some water in it and like just goes over their head. But it's, it's just like a little thing that like you could do for someone who can't get up to the shower and who needs like a bed bath. And it's just like, they're always like, oh my gosh, like this feels like a spa. And I'm like, it's literally such a quick thing to do to make somebody like feel like they smell good. You know what I mean? Like no one, everyone knows like what you smell like when you lay in bed. Like 
nobody likes to smell like that. And especially when you can't clean up yourself, it's just like the little things I like to do for people. You know what I mean? It helps people feel more human and feel more cared for. You know what I'm saying? So I like doing that. Yeah. I think too, just like the biggest thing about making someone feel like a human, like time back to what I said earlier with like getting to know someone, like I can't tell you how many 11 PM dance parties like turned an entire kid's mood around or, you know, like a kid stuck in bone marrow transplant who it's their birthday and they're alone for the night and that happy birthday sign when they wake up. And it's like that one second of like normalcy makes so much difference. Yeah, it's definitely the little things, like just small, small things that you can do that literally make the biggest difference. And it's just so rewarding sometimes to be a part of them and see the difference that it makes for that person. I think too, then, like once you build that relationship with them, like they'll be more understanding to like things like, okay, then you get caught up with another patient. You come in like, hey, I'm so sorry. Like, I know I said I'd be here at nine and it's 930. They know that you actually do care about them. And like, you really did just get like caught up doing something. Also kind of just tying back quick to like the original, like, you know, do you find it to be gratifying or making a difference? And like just one quick story that I could think of is this little boy that I took care of from the time that he was two until I had left CHOP. And even afterwards, like I would still follow his story and like we would keep in contact. And when he had passed away, like one of the last things that he said was like, are we going to the hospital that Corey's at? And it's like when he would be impatient, like the second he could have be quiet and not talk to anyone. And the second that I would come in would just like light up and our little like lightsaber parties we would have and just like silly little things. And it's like you real it's not that you're trying to make an impact. You're do you're who you are. And like I always say, like you are you and that is your superpower. And it's when you like look back and reflect on it, or you have those moments where like, like I said, it just literally like takes your breath away where you're like, oh my gosh, like I, I have made a difference. I think too, it just goes with like, you make a difference, but you also being in the hospital, it's not fun. It's scary. Sometimes depending on situations, like when I had my treatment, I really couldn't have visitors. I can only have one person, like the same person the whole week. So like my husband would be at work, but I had this one nurse, she was just, even if I wasn't her patient, she checked in on me every day, multiple times a day. Like they just make you feel safe and like supportive and they're there for you interact with during the day while he was at work and I was by myself. Okay. Kind of changing the topic a little bit. Have you ever told a coworker, a patient, like a supervisor about your cancer history at work and like sort of what happened if you did? Oh, my work, when I got diagnosed, um, we thought I just had a swollen lymph node and then I ended up getting it removed. And being in the medical field, like you, you know, when you get the phone call and they're asking you to come into an office to give you results for something like that, you already know it's not good and you assume the worst. So I literally left work to go to my appointment because it was literally two buildings down from where I work. And I ended up going back to work because I was like, there's no way I could drive like home right now. And I just, I was so close to all my coworkers. So 
I was going to say, I mean, I pretty much tell everyone about my cancer. I love talking about it. And I am pretty much an open book about my whole entire life. Like, so I'm just, that's just how I am. I'm very, I'm, I'm very open and I'm very like accepting of other people's stories. And so I think that makes people more comfortable with me. Like I have had a lot of secrets spilled to me from a lot of coat, like, you know, classmates or patients and stuff. And I think it's because I'm open about things and um, I'm okay about talking about it. But when I first started school, like, you know, my hair was just growing back from chemo. And I was like, I got to stop wearing my wigs. I can't wear my wigs like in the hospital. Like, you know, that's a infection control, you know. <laughs> so I, you know, kind of had to own up to it, my new look and stuff. And I just was like, during class one day, I was just like, yeah, like, you know, I'm a cancer survivor. I'm only at that time, I was only four months in remission and and stuff like when I restarted program and stuff. And so, yeah, I talk about it. And with my nurse, when I got hired in the ER, he was like, you know, when when's the time you show resilience? I was like, oh, let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you about resilience. So yeah, I do like to talk about it. Um, it's part of my identity. Ali, I think you like your last thing you said about it being part of your identity, like I a hundred percent agree. And I always say like, it is who I like, I'm the same way. Like I am an open book. I have no problem talking about my life or owning the fact that like it is part of who I am and the kind of person that I am. And for me, like, especially, you know, when I worked at CHOP and when I now at Penn State Hershey, like when I had got hired to my managers, like it's the biggest, you know, reason that fuels my passion. Like I'm currently back in school for my um, master's to become a nurse practitioner. And I want to be a pediatric oncology nurse practitioner. And it's like, this is the reason why. And to my patients, I, I am not afraid to share that I am a cancer survivor. Like sometimes that four-year-old that hates the taste of saline, I'll be like, I hated it too. And then like we, they're like, and you establish that connection or even like teenagers, like that 16-year-old who feels like they're disconnected from the world and just having a conversation being like, hey, I get it. Like, I get what you're going through. And I feel like as I've gone through being a survivor, you you know how to read the situation on when it's appropriate to say it. You know, it's not like I like walk around with a sign like, hey, but you, it absolutely in so many facets, like helps you, whether it's connecting to someone, whether it's patience, resilience, like being a survivor goes beyond like your own journey. It's literally like you don't realize the amount of impact it can make on someone else's. I totally agree with that. So I like talking about my diagnosis and like, I feel like I can't even talk about like what I'm interested in in medicine without at least bringing it up in some way, because I feel like it would be dishonest to not like mention it as because it is such a huge part of my identity and why I like want to be in this career. And definitely also when they ask you about resilience, it always just cracks me up because I feel like going through cancer treatment is like just an incredible act of resilience. So I think that kind of question too. But I haven't had an experience yet where I've had to, or not had to, but like felt like I could share it with a patient. So I'm definitely interested to see how that would come up in the future. Yeah, you definitely learn when to share it, when not. So um, the next question that was also suggested by um, someone that isn't here tonight, but do you ever find it 
while you're at your job that it, it like triggers any trauma that you went through during your cancer experience? And if so, how do you deal with that? I didn't realize until I actually like became a pediatric oncology nurse that like PTSD and survivor's guilt was a real thing. And I remember the first time that I flushed someone's like IV with saline and it just, the smell. And I was like, oh my gosh, this reminds me of chemo. And I don't know why, like it really like triggered this like emotional, like inside, like I was like, or the first time that I had a patient pass away, like I was like, you know, why did chemo work for me? And I started like, almost like doubting why I was a nurse in the profession that I was in. And then like I had said earlier with like those good and those bad moments, then you have the moments where like, you realize why you're doing what you're doing. And like, even though that there's triggers or like every time I take care of a patient that has Hodgkin's lymphoma, I relive like what I went through. But then I remember like, I'm doing this for a reason. Like I'm a nurse for a reason. And like I said before, like you are you and that's your superpower. So like it's game on, like focus and let's go. That reminds me of a story. Like when I met, I was getting radiation and I met this person who had, I don't know exactly what type of like maybe colon cancer, but they were getting radiation. They were like having all these symptoms and all this and like just saying how horrible it was. Like they couldn't even like have like a bowel movement and stuff like that without it being like horribly bloody. And bad. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I feel so bad for this person. And like, I, I noticed when I care for patients, I'm like, I feel so bad for this person, but I never forget that person that I met at radiation was like, I feel so bad for you. And I'm like, why? Like in my head, I'm like, why? Like, I feel so bad for you. And that person was like, because you're so young and like, you shouldn't have to go through this. Like so young, like I'm old, like it's fine. And I'm like, it just made me realize that like, like everybody, especially I feel like cancer survivors, like they always feel, we always feel bad for each other. Like, we're always like, wow, you have your cancers like really bad. Like, whereas, you know what I mean? We, we forget to like take time for ourselves and be like, Oh, you went through something really bad too. Yeah, I kind of have to agree with that. I had a a housekeeper that she always cleaned my room whenever I was in the hospital. But at my second last treatment, she had told me that she was going through testing and biopsies and stuff that they found a mass in her throat and it was really pushing on her vocal cords and everything. So her voice was starting to get really raspy and that. But she would just ask me all kinds of questions and she always told me, she goes, you know, I don't understand why this happened to you, but like me, I get it. I was a smoker. I lived my life. I'm older, but she's like, how do you find the strength to wake up every day and just deal with it and process the emotions and everything going on at once? And I told her, I was like, honestly, the first like month of me being diagnosed was all a blur because everything just happens so fast. You have your diagnosis, you see the oncologist, you get your PET scan and your port and all the lab work and you start chemo. And I was like, you don't have a lot of time to process like how you're feeling. So like, I know I really struggled at the end once I was in remission with dealing with my feelings. And I just felt like I put everything on hold to fight, but then everything else that I was suppressing just came like flooding through. But she did end up having cancer then in her throat and her lungs and unfortunately passed. But just being able to be there for her and to comfort her and try to 
answer her questions to ease her mind to kind of know like what to expect or what would come next because it can be a lot and be really overwhelming to go through in the beginning. Sorry for your loss, Kasara. She sounded like a great person. I don't know if I would say traumatic. Like I haven't had much patient contact yet, but one thing that's been like shocking for me is like as I've learned the mechanisms behind like different conditions, I like realized how kind of like in retrospect how serious some of the things I had going on were. So like when I first was diagnosed, I had a spinal tumor and like I didn't know anything about spinal cord injury or anything at that time, but like looking back and like I was hyper reflexive. And just like how serious um, having like spinal cord injury signs are. It like when I was learning that, I was like, oh, this is like scary that I'm learning this and it happened to me. Like, so that's kind of just been my experience so far with like things being kind of harder to deal with. What would you like other healthcare professionals that haven't had cancer or maybe like haven't had a chronic illness, a serious health problem? Like, what kind of wisdom do you think we can give them? I would say to, to to try to remember people who don't work in healthcare, they don't understand what you're doing, why you're doing it. Like just coming in and kind of like Kareen said, like asking them like, what day is it? Who's the president? Like that's annoying to people or asking them like, what's your name and date of birth? Every time you like just, just that little second, just being like, I have to ask you this because we're doing an ongoing assessment on you. Like it's, I'm not, I, I, I know you know it, but I have to ask you this, like, just in case there would be a, ch- a change. This is for your safety. Like, we're trending this data, blah, blah, blah. And also just to be open to listening to symptoms. I know, you know, shortness of breath could be a symptom of a hundred different things, but never rule out the worst possible scenario. Yeah, I have to agree. Just being like open and honest. And I think explaining it in terms that they understand, because I know like a lot of people struggle with that. Like they don't know all the medical terms and diagnosis and stuff. So explaining it in a way that they're going to relate to it and understand or have a better explanation that they kind of get the gist of what's going on or can feel comfortable enough to ask the questions that they need to ask to be able to understand better. I think the biggest thing is, you know, simply the golden rule, treat others how you want to be treated. Like if this was your family member or this was you, like what would it like take for this person to, for you to be comfortable or for you to feel safe or for you to just feel like you're being heard. And I think the biggest thing as any healthcare provider is like, we are lights for our patients. Like we provide them with Sometimes that sense of hope that they need, sometimes that sense of reality. But the biggest thing is like, we're called healthcare providers for a reason. Like we are providing, you know, these services. The second that you lose sight of the fact that the person in that bed or that chair is a human being is the second that like you lose like your passion or that sense of why you're doing what you're doing. And like, at the end of the day, like that person and what they're going through and they matter. And the biggest thing is like you making them feel like they matter. I totally agree. I think everyone covered really great wisdom to give to other healthcare professionals and I couldn't have said it any better. So I think that concludes today's episode of Life on Pause. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Life on Pause. 
ideas or suggestions for future episodes, feel free to share them with us. Join us for the next recording on the third Tuesday of the month. Until Until next time. time.